everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. You can take a seat. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. So glad that you came to join us. If you brought a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you didn't bring one, there are Bibles in the back. We'll put up the page number here in a second. But while you get to that place, uh, I want to say that I'm looking forward to the new year. I know it might be hard to think about 2024, but Christmas will be here before you know it. And then the dust will settle and you'll start writing 2024 on your checks, if you still write checks. Uh, But anyway, the, the reason I'm looking forward to 2024 is I feel like when we regathered uh, after my wife and I sabbatical, we did a time of listening prayer during our first staff meeting, and I, I was feeling really drawn to doing a week of prayer. So think 24-7 prayer for people who don't like to stay up in the middle of the night. That That first full week of January, it's just going to be a a week where we saturate the daytime hours in prayer, not in our church building, but in our church community. And so you'll hear more about that as we approach it. We're asking life groups to spend their time praying, tripods praying, uh, people gathering, organically praying, people praying by themselves. We'll have guides on how to pray. Uh, And I feel like it really is. Prayer is a coming together of both the contemplative and the charismatic, both the just spending time in the presence of God, enjoying him, but also asking God to come and really do things in our world, in our church, and in our lives. So part of that will just be asking God for help because we need him. Can I get an amen? for that? Okay. So I'm, I'm looking forward to our week of prayer. If you have your Bibles now open to Ephesians chapter 2, this is actually the same chapter we read from last week, if you remember. Uh, do you remember the main point from last week? Because la- I, I went and I took the youth for a walk after service last week, and I said, do you guys remember anything I said? And they, they said, yeah, but I'm, I'm asking you now, do you remember? Don't waste your life. Good. Don't waste your life. And that'll come up here a little bit in this uh, passage from chapter 2, and then we'll jump over to chapter 4. And the main theme today, this is kind of a standalone service before we move into the Advent series. The main theme is unity. And it just, it's been a while, I think, since we've talked on the subject. It is, it is practical. It is needed. Uh, the idea of being unified as a local church, but also unity throughout Jesus' church, like, globally. So, would you guys stand with me? Uh, we stand, you guys know, because we trust the authority of the Bible, but also to honor the one who is trying to reveal himself to us because of his love for us. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So now, you Gentiles, that's us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens 
along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, if you jump over to chapter 4, verse 1, it's just across the page. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So pray with me. Come Holy Spirit. We heard here the role that your presence has in making us one. And so we need your help. We pray that you would get our attention, turn us around. Uh, we repent where we go off course, but we come to you knowing that you have a posture toward us of overflowing grace. And so today we want to receive your love and we ask that you would be our teacher as you walk beside us as a friend and as you lead us as a father. So God, come. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus. It's, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And, uh, and it's very difficult to read because it's very dense. And if you were looking at the Greek, you would find that while the English breaks up each verse into a sentence or two or three, Paul's sentences go for like three or five verses sometimes. And I spent, I think, over an hour trying to look at the grammar uh, and some of the language stuff, and I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to su subject you to that, except for a few things, just a couple, couple little Greek grammar things that we'll talk through. And uh, I just want to, I want to also bring to light, like, some of the rich metaphors that Paul brought to our minds, and it was, it was very, like, bang, bang, bang. So if you jump back and just quickly look at chapter two, we'll return to this in a few minutes. He says, you are citizens, you are members of God's family, and you are his house. These are all examples of something that has many parts or many people that are united together around one thing. And for people who are following Jesus, that foundation that thing that we orient our lives around is Jesus. And if you think about like God's uh, house or God's temple, uh, like to have a temple, to have a house, you actually need many bricks. 
This is a little, this is a little contradictory toward the American individualistic, um, I, my, my faith is very private. So if you hear someone say, I'm spiritual, not religious, what they really mean is, my faith is private. And, and while faith is personal, at least in the biblical sense, it's never meant to be lived out alone. You're meant to be part of a house that God is building, and you're one brick. One brick is not a house. A house demands many bricks. And I was, uh, I was reminded of a church called the Crystal Cathedral. Have you guys heard of this church? It's out in California. And uh, it's a house, or it's a, it's a church made of glass bricks. And if you paid enough money, you could get your, your name etched into one of the glass bricks. But with God's house, it's just the opposite. He pays your price in his blood to be part of his house. And it's a living house. And it's a house that is infused with his presence. And so three quick metaphors, God's kingdom, being a citizen in it, God's family, being a member of it, and God's house or God's temple, being cemented together to each other to actually invite God's presence and power. Now, let's jump to chapter four. And if you have your Bibles, I would suggest also grabbing a pen and maybe underlining a few things or circling a few things. So I'm going to have us look together at chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. If you were to count the number of verbs that are in the English, you would end up with several, (laughs) more than five. If you were to count the number of verbs in the Greek, you would get one verb. And that's that beg you to lead a life. I urge you to lead a life or to walk in the original Greek worthy of your calling for you have been called. Now, what's, what's a calling? This is what we were talking about last week. Don't waste your life. That's one level of a calling. God has called you to do specific things in your life. Uh, it comes to us through his voice. Calling has this kind of echoing effect. Like, for instance, uh, it's the same Greek word when Jesus says to Lazarus while he's laying dead in the tomb, come out, Lazarus. He's calling Lazarus out of death and into a new life. That's another level of calling. That might be the top level. God's calling is calling you into a new life, into that family, into that kingdom. So you have the specific calling that he is asking you to do. Maybe it's serving kids. Maybe it's uh, building a business that reflects the kingdom's values instead of the world's values. Maybe for right now, your specific calling is raising your young children or serving the poor in a particular way. And then there's the high-level calling of we are called to be God's children. Then there's the mid-level calling that actually applies to all of us, just like upper level. Middle level is taking the person of Jesus and living a life that reflects his. So you have, might have a specific calling to do a specific thing, but the language we use here is we also have a calling to love like Jesus. And that is a lifelong formation of our hearts that comes out in the actions and words of our life. So to love like Jesus is the way that we orient ourselves toward God in loving him and loving other people. 
So I urge you, this is the main verb, live a life. Walk your day by day in a manner worthy of your calling, which has three levels. Now, again, there's, there's several sentences here, but the next few sentences are actually with clauses in the Greek. So live a life worthy of your calling with humility and gentleness and patience. Now, something interesting happens. There's two verb participles. So these aren't main verbs. These are like verbs that have ing's on them. So this is like an ongoing, I'm, I'm, well, we'll just making allowance and making every effort to keep yourselves. So these are verbs underneath the verb. The main verb is live a life worthy of the calling. But these two verbs that kind of stem out from this main verb are really interesting. And they, they teach us how to live in unity with one another. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love, love and making every effort, effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. So making allowance for each other's flaws or uh, faults and making every effort to keep the bond of peace. These are, these are two different types of verbs. Oh man, I thought I said I was going to not subject you to this, but I just think it's so interesting. The, one, the first verb, making every effort to, or making allowance for each other's faults is a passive verb, and make every effort to keep peace is an active verb participle. So when I say passive verb, don't think, I just sit back, you know, I make allowance. I just kind of fade into the background, you know, like I'm, uh, it's not passive like you're watching Netflix. It's passive like you're being patient, like you're being humble, like you're being gentle or meek. And it actually takes a lot of effort to be those things. So if you have children, you understand what it means to bear with or make allowance, kind of the same idea here, to bear with children, not just for a few hours, but for years. Some of you have made allowance for teenagedom <laughs> or toddlerdom. But if you've been in a church, if you've been in a family, some of you saw family this weekend, you know what it's like to bear with one another. Somebody has family visiting. <laughs> Um, it's not a passive sit back and relax thing. It's actually, it takes a lot of energy. And if you look at the, the, the idea of being meek or gentle or patient, uh, I think meekness, which in this, in this translation comes through as gentleness, is one of the most interesting metaphors to consider because that doesn't mean that you're a wimp, that you're a doormat, that you just let people walk on you. To bear with someone doesn't mean that you let people treat you however they want to treat you. To be meek is a metaphor that describes uh, restrained power. So you could imagine a mighty steed, not from Shrek. That would be the wrong example. Okay, too old. I'm too old. <laughs> Referring to the donkey from Shrek. Imagine, okay, some of you guys are like in the unicorn stage. Like imagine this really muscular unicorn this mighty unicorn who could trample us 
if it wanted to, but it's, it's reined in. And so the strength is guided, and it's, it's not causing violence or damage, but it's there to be unleashed for good when necessary. Um, if you were to keep reading in verse 4, you might even say, a, a meekness that is able to speak the truth in love. A power that is restrained and only used like for good purposes. And so to bear with one another takes a lot of energy. And without it, without the ability to be patient with people when they're immature or when they're complaining or causing problems, you won't have unity. The other idea is the, the making every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit is, is like where this has all been heading. And this is a zealous. This, this takes, um, all, it takes energy, but it takes a different kind of energy. It takes a building kind of energy. Um, it, it's the active. So if I could just kind of describe this in terms of body language, I bear with you. Like in my heart, I'm working to love you. And I'm making every effort to stay united with a bond of peace. I'm actually proactively reaching out to people that I might feel conflict between or that maybe I just don't like that much or who think about politics differently than I do. I'm making effort without bearing with one another and without making every effort to keep a bond of peace, you will not have unity. So there's all sorts of things in our lives that are working to divide us and separate us. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I've noticed in the world, and I want to just define what I mean by world, I don't mean culture. Like culture can be good. Culture is not all bad. Like culture can be beautiful. Culture is music. Culture is food. Culture is, you know, the, the fish that Jesus liked to eat. Uh, because that was part of his culture. Uh, culture is Sinterklaas Day, which me and my family just celebrated a few days early because of our Dutch heritage. But the world is a, the Bible's way of describing that which is in culture, the systems and the structures and the stories that oppose God's kingdom. So one of the things that I'm seeing in the world that comes through on social media, that comes through on the news, that I hear sometimes in conversation is generational division. So, for instance, the millennial attitude or posture toward baby boomers can be, okay, boomer. And the boomers' attitude toward millennials can be, it's all your fault, you're ruining the country. I'm talking, this is the world's messaging, okay? These are actually the stories that are being told. Have you seen them? Have you heard them? Have they come out of your mouth? Have they been in your thoughts? I don't, I don't, I, I understand Generation X a little bit less. But I feel like what I hear from Gen X is that, you know, we've been overlooked and we've been passed over. And so it's both both like every, it's the, it's boomers and millennials, you guys, you're the problem. And so what this division does is it creates blame, it shifts blame, and it plays the victim. Poor me. It's their fault. There's no place for it in the church. And because it's 
in the world's messaging because it's part of the story that the world is telling, we have to intentionally bear with one another and make every effort to keep a bond of peace between us, whether it is generational or whether it is political or whether it is denominational or whether it is socioeconomic. And I think one of the, I mean, one of the cool things I love about the vineyard is I consider a lot of my best friends to be over the age of 60. Um, And I, I think that's actually pretty rare in the world. Like when I think about who my friends are, many of them are over 60. And if I think about also like, it, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> I'm an old, old millennial. Um, when I meet someone who's 25, I think I'm the same age as them. But I don't know if that's, I don't know, that might not be a vineyard thing. I, but like, I, I like, there's, a, there's something in the vineyard that has a generational reach. And if you're in life group, odds are very good that you're doing life with people who are older than you and younger than you. And that's a beautiful thing, but it takes effort. It takes forbearance. It takes, like, zeal. Like, I'm choosing. I'm making choices that maybe wouldn't come naturally to me in order to have friends that are not just like me. And there's, there's kind of an under... There's an underlying premise here that I think the Bible teaches is that we can actually do things to train our hearts. And if we create space for the Holy Spirit to come and do some transformation in us, he will hold us together. I want to return to those earlier metaphors. So this is sort of like, you got, you got point one, like bear with one another with patience, humility, In other words, don't jump to conclusions about what other people are thinking or meaning. Stay curious, stay connected, stay calm. This is ringing a bell. I say that a lot. Stay calm, stay connected, stay curious. The second point uh, goes back to Ephesians 2. Remember the three metaphors that are used here? Citizen, family, house. Now, in every country, wherever there is citizenship, and in every family, wherever there is like people together, there is a shared responsibility to take care of the country or to take care of the house. And so if you're an adult in a family, or even if you're a kid in a family and you're not two, <laughs> some, you have something called chores. You have something called bills. And if you're, you know, because I'm a member of a house, I fold laundry and I do dishes and I pay bills. And if you are a member of a house, you do some of those things too. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the role of financial generosity and money in creating unity. But I'm going to, before I say much more about that, invite up Hans Hermans, who's one of our board members. He's been a member of the board longer than some people in this room have been alive. Sorry, Hans. Uh, But there are some young people. You know, there are young people in this room. (laughs) 
And uh, he's one of uh, five members of the board. Allison and myself are two of them, Hans Hermans, Maria Murray, and Jean. Jean is at home because she's leaving for the Eagles game. And Maria's on uh, her way to the airport. But So I was going to draw straws, but Hans is the only... He's the he's the only one that was available. So, is, is that green light on? Yeah, it is. Just hold it, Hans. Hold it right there. Right there. Like that? Okay. You can even hold it up and down if you want. But it, anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We're making every effort right now to bear with one another. <laughs> Thank you. So one of the ways that the the board um, serves the church is by looking after the financials and setting a budget. And if I had to summarize it in a word, I would say it's to help be prepared for the future. So we had a, we had a meeting, board meeting last week, and we looked at the financials. And at this point, we're two months into the fiscal year, so we're looking at September, October results. And the highs and offerings is below budget. Um, just in, in round numbers, the budget is about $25,000 a month, and the giving was 20000 for the last two months. Um, so the discussion that ensued, the focus of it was whether this indicates, you know, two bad months, oh well, or if this signals the beginning of a, of a trend. Two months being under budget is two months. It is what it is. Twelve months under budget would require um, some kind of budget revision or something. Anyway, the outcome of the discussion, there were, there were three points. The first one was the board's not doing anything right now. We're going to wait and see. The reason for that is there's a lot of reasons. Um, the first one is there's a lot of changes happening all at once, and we just don't have the clarity that we would like to have to see into the future. The, the fact is giving fluctuates month to month, and some months it's more than $5,000 swing one way or the other. So, like I said, it is what it is. Um, other things that have changed just in the relatively recent past, um, maybe you know that we paid off, we finished the, we retired the mortgage uh, in the past year. We own this place free and clear. It's wonderful. Another thing is we've invested in a solar power system, which is, it's not online yet, right? No. It's coming online soon, and that is going to have the effect of basically wiping out the electric bill for the next 20 years. And that's a big chunk of what it costs to, to run the building. Um, on, the not, on the other side, the expense, so that's going to change the expense profile. And we've all experienced inflation, which seems to have kind of stopped, but it's at a new level. And what, all that to say, we're waiting and seeing what's going to happen. So that's the first point. Second thing from the conclusion at the board meeting was that we should talk about this a little bit. We don't really talk a lot about church financials very often. So in a scenario of an absolute worst case, which I don't think is reality by any means, but if it was like later in the year, if we find that we're falling off a cliff, it would have been better to say, like, hey, we're watching things. We're not alarmed, we're watching, rather than to just hear crickets and suddenly, like, hey, we have this incredible emergency and we need to really pull together and deal with this. Uh, and then the third thing, we should make a plug for church giving. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? <laughs> Seriously, if you're a giver to the church, 
um, the board would love to express its gratitude and thank you. You are part of what makes this church run. You are part of what makes it possible for us to all be here together. If you're not giving to the church, I'd like to ask you to consider maybe doing that. If you consider this your church home, your family. Uh, if you're a guest, you're exempt today. You're excused, and please excuse us while we have a little family business. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, well, Black Friday's behind us. Tomorrow is Cyber Monday, and Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. So it is, I think, a good time to ask you to just consider what you are giving to the church and to think about it. Like I said, the giving fluctuates month to month. People are giving in all kinds of different ways. Um, there are people who give a fixed amount every time. There are people who think of it more in terms of a percentage of their income. There are people who donate every week, every paycheck, every month. There's even people who give, donate every year. So there's lots of, there's lots of things. Um, this is another thing that's changed. Very few people give cash or checks anymore. It's all done on the Internet. Um, it, the website for the church makes it very easy to set things up as a one-time gift or as a recurring gift. You can, uh, if there's a sp specific cause that's near and dear to your heart, you can specify that um, by specifying what fund you're giving to. And um, if you're one of those people who has set it in, you know, who, who operates on the philosophy of set it and forget it, and it's been a couple of years, and you've gotten a raise or something, thank God for your good fortune. Hmm. And think about maybe resetting and re-forgetting. Thank you. <laughs> uh, hang on one second. <laughs> you really, thank you, Hans. You really did do a good job. Um, one of the things that I appreciated in terms of your tone was just kind of where you're at in terms of anxiety regarding the budget. Where would you, where are you at right now? I, I'm not, I'm not terribly anxious. Not anxious. Not so paying attention. Just watching. And, uh, you know, there's just so many things that are changing that I don't, I don't think that... What I'd really like is for all of you to give on the 5th of the month so that by the 20th of the month we have clean financials and it's just a straight line and that would make our job on the board very easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's just not reality. <laughs> He's, uh, well, you're, uh, you're like, you write computer programs, so you really like things clean, and you love accounting besides. So I'm, it's so good to have someone like you on the board. Thank you. <laughs> if you, uh, it, it, so just to kind of re-say re this, we'll, we'll send out like a text or something on Tuesday to just invite you to reconsider that giving level. Um, and if you have questions specifically about like where the church is spending money, or where things are at, you can talk to Tons, and he's the treasurer, so he has kind of the best handle on that. But uh, any, like, it's not it's not a secret. Right, right. Any any questions? Feel free to ask me or any board member anytime. Yes, but you should ask Hans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there, I, I, the board Short straw again. No. <laughs> We've been so thankful for the board over the last year, and finance is a big part of what they do, but they've, they've helped us navigate some, uh, is crisis the right word? Like some, just some really sticky situations over the last, well, let's say the last three years. I don't know why the last three years have been so particularly. Things changing, you know. In COVID, yeah. life was easy. The, we, we didn't really have a lot of lights. We didn't, uh, 
have a lot of electricity. We didn't run the heat because the five people that were in the church running the live sessions, when they were off camera, they would wear coats. Yes, that's true. <laughs> we were just that cold. That was easy. It's changed again. And, <laughs> in fact, an air conditioner broke and we didn't even replace it. Anyway. Uh, no, thank you, Hans. Unless there's something else you want to add. Nope, he's good. Okay. Not everybody knows that a church has bills. And so we're just trying to raise a little bit of awareness and reiterate like the place that it is to be part of a family. Uh, part, of, part of being a citizen is that like our, our first and our best, actually all of it belongs to God. But giving is one of the ways that we show that we love God. It's one of the ways that we train our hearts to what's most important. And so I'm just going to quickly share some words from Jesus um, where he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so we, this is actually reverse of how the world tries to tell us to spend our money. It's like, spend the money where your heart goes, which is, you know, nice food and nice things and some other, you know, other things. The, the Bible is teaching where you, if you intentionally decide to put your money somewhere, your heart will follow. And so I would actually say, if you're someone who isn't feeling connected to the church, giving is one of the ways to feel more connected. Uh, it, it's likewise where if you're not feeling connected with the church, and you don't feel like going to life group because, you know, it's, it can be a little intimidating. But if you choose to show up at life group, uh, you know, consistently, these people you don't know, these strangers, over time you'll find that you start to love them. Your heart will follow where your effort and energy and time and money goes. And so to, to back up a minute, the, one of the fundamental beliefs that the Bible teaches is that our hearts, our desires can be trained through the help of the Spirit. And so if, if our goal is unity, financial generosity is part of our investment in, like a, in a literal sense. Let me move on to where I want to land today. Back in chapter 4, there's this, this really incredible um, set of phrases. And there's something in common with all of them. You can see it, right? Some of you don't even need to count, but how many times does Paul use the word one in these? Is it two verses, three verses? One, two. One body, one spirit, just as you've been called the one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. You guys know the significance of the number seven in the Bible? It's used to emphasize completeness or wholeness or like the creation is seven days. So it's God's, like this is what God is doing and it is good and it is whole. And so even through the number seven here, Paul is trying to really drive home a point. And he's, he's mentioning some of the most treasured parts of our faith. Um, 
one body. This is actually a metaphor for the church. He's saying even though there might be, even at that time, a dozen or a few dozen local churches, from God's perspective, where God sits, he sees one church. He doesn't see the divisions uh, when he thinks about his family. Like, more fundamental than the things that separate us are the things that make us one. And so just as we've been talking about unity within a local church, we need to make sure that the kind of unity we build is not the kind of unity that distances us from the rest of the church as God sees it. And so we don't want to overemphasize the places that we disagree. And if, if we only build our identity on, well, we're different from all the other churches, or we're better, or we're, we're righter, you know, we, our theology is, is more correct, we're actually maybe creating unity in our church, but division between us and the other churches in the world. And we, I mean, I mean, I love telling people about the vineyard. I always, if I meet a Catholic, I say, oh, we got a lot of Catholics at our church. If I meet a Baptist, oh, we actually have a lot of Baptists in our church. We have people coming from different places. And it's one of, it's again, it's one of the beautiful gifts of being in the vineyard is the diversity. But it takes a little more maybe forbearance than you might otherwise need to, and a little bit more effort, a little more zeal to keep the bond of peace. But, you know, it's, it's, ta- it's talking about the church, it's talking about the hope we have, the baptism, the faith. Uh, but there's an interesting uh, Trinitarian kind of referent here. And it's not necessarily easy to see, but of course the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, God, the Father, where's Jesus? referred to as the son, where is it in this passage? Lord. When, Paul, when you're reading Paul, when you see Lord, don't think Old Testament Yahweh. Like in the Old Testament, when it says Lord, it's the personal name for God. When Paul uses the word Lord, he's talking about the person who has come, and his name is Jesus, the person of God, God's son that has come. And so, I, again, I think, I think Paul is being brilliant here. The case for unity, the case for diversity, the case for being different and yet one is rooted in our theology of God. So let me explain this just again briefly. The fact that we are many parts and one body, the fact that we are many people with different personalities but united because of Jesus reflects who God is. Because from all eternity and into all eternity, God is three persons. Three persons of perfect love, with one will, with one purpose, and perfect agreement. Now, this is different than, uh, than say, a, a, a true, or a, like a, a non-Trinitarian monotheism. So if it's just one God and it's simple, like if it's, not, if it's one God, one person, one will, like God is actually all by himself before he creates anything. Poor guy. And if, if, it's a, if it's a polytheism, if you have multiple people and multiple gods, well, that gets a little ugly. Have you guys read any Greek mythology? They're, not, they're nasty to each other, these gods. They're competing against each other. They overthrow each other. It's, it's a mess. And the poor humans, they're just suckers who get kind of... I, I just finished a, a book. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, but it, it's written around uh, some Greek mythology. I find it so interesting because of how it contrasts the story of the Bible. We don't realize how amazing the Bible is and how, how unique even our belief in the Trinity can be and how, how it roots us 
and the idea of a God that has been in relationship with itself, three persons, one God, from all eternity. Love is not something that happens later. Love is before the beginning. And love is always into the end because it is the nature of the God that we love. And so it is in our doctrine of God and our theology of God and this like actually pretty hard thing to understand that we find a foundation in who we can be and who God has designed us to be, united, generous with each other, with humility and gentleness and patience, because God is those things too. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.